0: Thank you for checking out our podcast here at Eastern Assembly of God Church in Baltimore, Maryland. If you'd like more information about our church, you can find us at www.easternassembly.org. Uh, Listen, I just want to take a moment to open up today in a quick word of prayer. God, we thank you for this series. We thank you for uh, the message that Pastor Kelsey preached this past week. We pray that you would continue to be throughout this series, that our goal, God, is to see healthy families within the church so we can see healthy families throughout our community because of what you're doing in here. In Jesus' name. Amen. Again, to pick up on what Pastor Ed uh, said, if you missed last week's message, I would highly encourage you to go back and to listen to it, especially if you're in the room and you're single. For you, maybe that singleness looks like a season or for you maybe it looks like a lifetime calling, whichever one of those two it is, I would highly recommend doing that. If you so, if you are someone that is currently single but intend on getting married, uh, please listen to her message first. Today's message is going to be specifically geared towards married people. Some of the thoughts may be continued from her message to today, um, but our hope would be that people would understand the message she preached last week to be healthy people individually, single in their single season so that we can have healthy marriages so that we can have healthy kids now we know things don't always uh, go in that trajectory life happens in a lot of different ways but our goal would be that we can be a church that has people in our church that are single that are walking in their purpose that we have uh, healthy married couples and that the those that go on to choose to become parents would have healthy children we want to see that continually uh, replicated throughout our church now Part of the reason why we wanted to do this series as a staff, we started talking about it's been a long 12 months, a long 12 months since roughly uh, COVID-19 began and the world kind of shifted as we know it. Uh, specifically the first few months of that period of time when the world kind of shut down, everybody's locked in the house. And uh, listen, for some of you, maybe that was a blessing and others maybe a curse, but listen, there were a lot of things that were revealed over those first few months of the pandemic where uh, you're in this home, especially if you're married, especially if you have kids, especially if you have young kids, it may have been a trying time, uh, but I believe that maybe God has revealed some things to us in our marriages and in our families during that time, even in the difficulty of that, there are some things that were revealed because God wants to work in those areas now. So even though it may have been difficult, there is some good that's coming that God wants to do in that. So uh, that's kind of our heart behind it, that we can sort of kind of course correct uh, where some people might be going astray. I feel like during this time, the enemy has been attacking the family unit as a whole. And so we want to do this series as a way to kind of retighten together uh, what God intended for the family unit, that as a church, we can begin to understand this so it replicates throughout our community. Now, before I talk about marriage, I want to give a little bit of my story. Uh, the reality is some of you in here have been married longer than I've been alive. And uh, for that, God God, God bless you. Listen, that is an incredible, incredible honor. And uh, I hope to get to that point one day where I can say I've been married for decades upon decades. But for me, uh, Victoria and I, May will be eight years of marriage for us. And uh, yeah, it's We've got two beautiful kids, but for me, my passion for marriage started much, much, much earlier than the day we actually got married. See, for me, I grew up in a home where it was, it was pretty chaotic. For a little background history, my parents, at the time that they met each other, they had both already previously been married and divorced. And when they met each other um, in their marriage, my dad has a drug addiction that he struggled with on again, off again, Uh, His whole life, you know, maybe every season was different. He was in and out of our lives, you know, out more than in, but it was back and forth, back and forth. And it caused a lot of difficulty and trauma in our home. And things were so crazy, in fact, that my parents have... Been married and divorced to each other multiple times. <laughs> so they got married and then got divorced, and then a couple of years later, they're like, hey, you know what? Let's give it another shot. And then that didn't work out again. And so it's kind of this really weird dynamic that, like, even for us as kids, we're like, so are they married or like just separated? Like, we, we don't, I don't know, like, we can't keep tabs on it. So it's a very uh, interesting situation to say the least. So for me, even at a young age, long even before I became a Christian and accepted Jesus into my life, at a very early age, I just always had this desire to have a healthy marriage and to have a healthy family. My example of marriage growing up was I had the perfect example of what not to do. Anybody relate to that in here? The perfect example of what not to do. That was my marriage experience. So for me, even at a young age, I had an understanding of this can't be right. What I'm seeing, what I'm experiencing, this can't be it. There's got to be more than this. And so then it was when I started my relationship with Jesus. I got saved, and I began to understand uh, just kind of God's design and the way he wants for things to work. At that point, I can understand, okay, for me, for myself, and for my future family, I refuse to allow generational curses to continue to be passed down throughout my family. So while there may have been dysfunction before me, there won't be dysfunction after me. And it's not because of me, it's because the work that Jesus did inside of me. So if you're in here today, and there has been plenty of dysfunction in your life, and that's all you've experienced in your marriage today, you have the ability to say, no more. For me, for my house, for my kids, no more. You can be the one standing in the gap, breaking the generational curses for your family moving forward, not because of you or who you are, but because of who Jesus is. And so for me, the only reason I'm able to stand here today and to say that I have a marriage that's going on eight years with two beautiful kids that we love to death is because of my relationship with Jesus. And like I said, so with this in mind, uh, it kind of helps you understand like my heart for marriage. It, it runs deep. And I, if, if I was allowed to, I would stand up here and preach a 12-week series on marriage. I could talk about it uh, just as much as I could talk about anything else. We could get up here and talk about communication, the importance of communicating in a marriage. We could get up here and talk about navigating through expectations of your spouse. We could get up here and talk about sex. We could get up here and talk about the spiritual implications of marriage. There are so many different things that I could get up here and just preach a message on one small portion of marriage. But for today, I don't have that kind of time. I have one message in a three-week series, so for this one particular message, as I'm kind of sorting through, okay, God, what do you want us to talk about in today's message? What's kind of the purpose behind this? And I really, truly believe that the Lord just wants us to kind of go back to some of the basics that we have to understand if we want our marriages to be marriages that honor God and that have his blessing. Listen, there's a kind of a, a misconception in the world, and I've always heard for a long time that, hey, the divorce rate within the church is just as bad as it is outside of the church. Some people would even say it's worse. But as I started preparing for this message, I'm like, that, that can't be right. There's gotta be some, something different. If our relationship as a married Christian couple is centered around our relationship with God, there's got to be some sort of difference. And so, I uh, listen, I've spent a lot of time looking at a bunch of different surveys and research, and I've found plenty of data to show that that's simply not true. I'm not going to list it all for you, but to kind of give you one of the things that i found, there's a man by the name of Dr. Brad Wilcox. He is the director of the National Marriage Project, and he states that active conservative Protestants who attend church regularly are actually 35% less likely to divorce than those with no religious preference. Now, first of all, just because you come to church regularly doesn't mean you're a Christian. Let's get that out of the way first. But what he's saying, though, is that those who do attend church regularly and are engaged, sign up for the connection team, if you are engaged in serving in the church and being involved and used in the church, he said there's a 35% less likely chance of you divorcing. So that shows us, okay, there is a difference. There, there is somewhat of a difference in our relationships that if we are centered around something different, there should be a functional difference in that. Now, as we talk about marriage, it's such a loaded topic because if I were to tell you, hey, go and get married today, There's a certain process you would go through. You would go file for your marriage license and you start planning for the wedding and you would look at, um, you know, at some point in the ceremony, you would say vows. You would exchange vows, traditional or make up your own. But there's certain like a certain formula that you would do in order to get married. But it's important to know and understand that some of our ideas and concepts of marriage uh, is very particular to just the time in which we live. You see, because even the idea of having a marriage license, that didn't become commonplace until the 19th century. And even the traditional wedding vows that most people will say at their wedding, those didn't come around until 1549. And they were written in the Book of Common Prayer over in England. And so these are very recent additions to what we would consider marriage. So for the majority of humanity, we didn't have marriage licenses or wedding vows. So what was a marriage? If we go back to uh, scripture and we look at it, God is the one that created marriage. So right now we live in a day and age where uh, just about anybody can walk into a courthouse and get a marriage certificate and get married. But right now we have a time where the government is defining what marriage is, but the government can't define something that it didn't create. So only God can take marriage and define what it is because he's the one that created it long before a marriage license, long before you say a vow. God is the one that established what marriage is. Now, I'm not telling you not to get a marriage license. I'm not telling you not to say a vow. I'm not saying that just because you love somebody and they love God that you're married in God's eyes. It doesn't work that way. Because of the culture in which we live, you do need to do those things. But what I'm saying is that just by doing those things, that doesn't mean that you are in a God-honoring and a God-blessed marriage. It's much more than that. As we go through Scripture, we want to look at Mark chapter 10. This is a portion of Scripture where Jesus is being asked directly about marriage. He's actually specifically being asked about divorce and marriage. And Jesus here in Mark 10, he goes on, he says, At the beginning of creation, God made them male, and female, and for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife. But the two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. It doesn't say what the government has joined together, let no man separate. It says what God has joined together. Let no one separate. And it's even kind of funny the way that Jesus is saying this, because if you go back to the beginning of the Bible when mankind was made, uh, there was God's making all this stuff, and then it comes to the point of humanity. And there was actually a conversation. God looks at Jesus in the Holy Spirit, and he says, Let us make man in our image. But here Jesus is saying, Well, God made them No, you were there too. Like, you had a part in the process. It's just funny to me how Jesus kind of words that. So we look at this here, and Jesus is making it clear that when he's being questioned about marriage, he says there's one male, one female, one God. That's the construct for a biblical God-honoring, God-ordained, God-blessed marriage. One male, one female, one God. You see, but Jesus here, as he's saying this, it's, this isn't anything new. This is a continuation that runs all throughout Scripture because this thought process of a man leaving his father and his mother, coming together with his wife, becoming one flesh, is found at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis 24. And then we see it again in Ephesians 5 in the writing of Paul. So we have this same thought, this same concept of one man, one woman, one God. We have this in the Old Testament and we have it in the New Testament. We have it before Jesus. We have it during Jesus' life. And we have it after Jesus' life. This is a continuation all throughout Scripture to say, hey, this one truth doesn't change. This truth of what marriage was designed to be does not and cannot change. And so that's exactly what Jesus is affirming here as he's talking about what marriage is. Now, if we want to have this sort of marriage, one man, one woman, one God, specifically that is ordained and blessed by God, what does that mean and what does that look like? Again, I could take this in a bunch of different directions, but specifically for today's message, there are three areas that I wanna focus on for our marriages. And whether you're already married or intending to be married, these are some things that are very critical for us to understand. I understand that we have a lot of different types of marriages in the room today. Maybe some of you are on your second or third marriage. Maybe you are in a relationship where one of you is a Christian, but one of you is not. Maybe you're in a relationship where you said your vows and you got married before you ever had a relationship with God. And so it wasn't ever really a covenant with God because you didn't even know God. But wherever you're at, whatever stage of marriage you're in right now, there is a design and a plan that God has for you. And we want to look at what scripture says and how to go about that. So the first truth of marriage that I have for you today, marriage is a covenant, not a contract. Marriage is a covenant, not a contract. If we go ahead and we look at Scripture, if we look at this, again, it's saying that there's one man, one woman, one God. And it says, what God has brought together, let no one separate. So this is something ordained by God. We have precedent in Scripture to look at, okay, what does a covenant with God look like? If we look in Genesis chapter 9, we have the, uh, the covenant with Noah. God saying, I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by waters of flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. Now, what you don't see in this text is God saying, listen, if you guys get it right and you get your act together, I'm not going to flood the earth again. This is not an if-then clause. He's stating this as a fact that I will not flood the earth again. That's what it means to have a covenant with God, that the covenant is set. The covenant is unwavering. The covenant is the standard and it does not move. However, in a contract, in a contract, there are mutually agreed upon conditions that if each end upholds their end of the bargain, you will stay in contract with that individual. Now, for me, when I first moved to the Baltimore area, uh, it was a pretty good thing to have the name Chris Davis. Um, Unfortunately, that's not the case anymore. So when I first moved here, one of the first things we did was a youth event, and I had to call the place to make a reservation, and I'm like, yeah, my name's Chris Davis. They were like, "Oh, Chris Davis. I'm like, no, 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 don't get too excited. Like, not that one. Now when I call and say my name, they're like hanging up on me. Here's the reality. If you're not familiar, Chris Davis plays for the Baltimore Orioles, and a few years back, he had a great season with the Orioles, and they give him this massive payday. They give, they give him this contract extension, and now ever since he got paid, it's like he forgot how to play baseball. And so I'm, I'm pretty confident I can actually go out there and do better than him right now. But this guy, this guy is terrible right now. Chris Davis, if you're watching, I'm sorry, but bro, get it together. Listen, he's terrible. And so ever since we've moved to Baltimore, what's begun happening now is I see every time an Orioles game, I'm like, we got to trade this dude. We got to get him out of town. He is a scrub. Like, this guy's got to go. Why are you saying that, though? Because he's in contract with the team, he's still under contract with the team, but why are people saying we need to get rid of him? Because he hasn't been upholding his end of the contract. He hasn't been meeting the standard that was mutually agreed upon that, hey, we thought you were going to play at this level and you're not playing there anymore, so now people are talking about we got to get rid of this guy. Now, marriage is not a contract. Marriage is not some sort of mutually agreed upon thing to where, hey, if you do X, Y, and Z, then I will love you. But if you don't, we're gonna, we're, I'm going to trade you out and I'm going to find somebody else that can do those things. That's not what marriage was intended to be. But if we're honest, a lot of people look at marriage that way. And we want to base a marriage on like, okay, I'll stay with you if you have sex with me as much as I want. I'll stay with you if you keep making this amount of money. I'll keep staying with you if you continue to make me happy. Marriage was never intended to be something that was built upon our understanding of what we wanted out of another person. It was meant to be a covenant made in the eyes of God that is unwavering because, listen, seasons come and go. Anybody that has been married in here can tell you that there are some good times and there are some hard times. If you're in a marriage that is built on a contract, you're not going to last at all. The only marriages that will stand the test of times are the ones that are built on a covenant understanding that God is the one that ordained this. And so my first and foremost priority is to him and to my spouse. And so with that understanding, it's much easier to have grace for your spouse when there are some miscommunications when there are some of these things that come up. I'm not saying that marriage in union with God will be perfect, but what I'm saying, though, is that by keeping him at the centerpiece of your relationship, it will give you grace for the bumps in the road that come up. The reality is a lot of people have this mentality that marriage is a 50-50 commitment. But marriage was never intended to be a 50-50 commitment between husband and wife. Marriage was always intended to be a 100 and 100 commitment that both individuals are all in. That means that we stop keeping track of who's done the dishes most recently. That means that we stop keeping track of who's doing the laundry, who's doing all the stuff around the house. Yes, there should be a shared workload, but what I'm saying, though, is that a lot of people have this understanding of marriage that, hey, I I want you to keep doing these things, and if you don't, then I'm gonna act this way. And that's when the tension in the home begins to come, when there are certain unmet expectations, but that's not what marriage is intended to be. If you're single in the room, Especially if you are a single female, pay attention to the commitment level of the men around you. Because if you are someone that's single and you want to pursue marriage, the guys in your life, they're already telling you whether or not they're ready for commitment. If you're talking to a guy and he can't hold a job for more than a year, what makes you think he's going to be committed to you? If you're talking to a guy that keeps hopping from place to place to place to to job to job to relationship to relationship to relationship... What makes you think that this guy is magically going to flip a switch and get his act together for you? He's already showing you who he is. He's already showing you the character that he has. And this goes both ways, but especially for guys, listen, you've got to show that commitment up front long before you ever get into a marriage relationship. So please. Pay attention. These are the sort of things that you can find out about somebody before you start that dating process. You don't have to get dating, be dating for a year, two years, be engaged before you're like, "Oh wait, yeah, this guy doesn't know what he's doing." You can usually find out much earlier than that, so please don't put yourself in that position. So what does it mean to have a marriage that is built on a covenant, not a contract? If we look at what it means to have a marriage built on a covenant and not a contract, The reality is that a covenantal marriage is built on principles, not passion. It's built on principles, not passion. You see, a lot of people want to be married with passion. We think about marriage, and we think about the marriage night, and we think about moving forward, how great and blissful our life is going to be. But the Bible tells us, first of all, above all things, our heart is deceitful. Who can truly know it? And so if you want to build a marriage on the emotions of your heart, and your heart is a constant roller coaster, so will your marriage be. The reality is that our emotions will take us all over the place. But if you have a marriage that is built on the principles of Scripture that says, hey, even on the days I don't feel like it, even on the days where we're not clicking or we're miscommunicating, I'm still committed to you because I'm committed to doing this God's way. I'm committed to following through with the principles of Scripture. So that's what it means to have a covenantal relationship, that you're not driven by emotions. You're not driven 100% of the time by how your spouse makes you feel. I'm not telling you to overlook concerns. If there are some things in your marriage you need to address, address them. If you need to get counseling, get counseling. But don't build your entire marriage on how someone makes you feel. It was never intended to be that way. Feelings are fickle and they fade fast. There's a reason why if you watch a romantic comedy or any sort of romantic movie, a Disney movie where there's a princess looking for her prince, there's a reason why once you watch all of these sort of movies that there's like this big climactic emotional moment that builds up to the wedding scene and then poof, it cuts to the ending credits. There's a reason why it always ends after the wedding. Because once the wedding day has happened, that's when the work starts. <laughs> once the wedding day has happened, that's when it starts to get a little ugly. You start finding out some stuff like... You sleep with your socks on, like what? You load the dishwasher like that? That's when you start to find some stuff out about somebody. That's when you start to really realize that. That's when the work settles in. But we've got a culture that is very good at preparing for weddings, but we're terrible at preparing for marriages. And so we want to be a people, specifically people in relationship with God, that we don't just see this moment, this emotional moment. We want to view it through the lens of the long term. And we can't allow our emotions to drive us if we want to be people that have a relationship with God and with our spouse. One of the primary causes of marriages failing is unmet expectations. That's a message all in and of itself. I could talk about clearly communicating what your expectations of your spouse are, how to communicate that, how to communicate when they're not being met. That's a whole nother message. But what I want to clearly communicate to you is this. In that relationship, you have one woman, one man, one God. For me as an individual and for your spouse, whoever you're married to, our first and foremost primary connection should be to God and then to our spouse. One of the things that begins to happen over time is once you get a spouse, it's easier to kind of shift some of your expectations to your spouse and off of God. But here's the reality. The more submitted I am to Jesus, the less I demand of my spouse. The more I'm in connection to Jesus, the more I'm realizing he's everything that I need. And my spouse, as great as she is, she was never intended to be my everything. We have that famous Jerry Maguire quote, you complete me. It doesn't work that way, Jerry. It doesn't work that way. Like no spouse was intended to complete you. As Pastor Kelsey preached last week and touched on, if you're single, listen, your ultimate fulfillment should come through Jesus, not through any other person. Your spouse was never intended to be your primary source of joy. Jesus is. Your spouse was never intended to be your primary source of hope. Jesus is. Your spouse was never intended to be your primary source of fulfillment. Jesus is. Your spouse was never intended to be your primary source of peace. Jesus is. So if you find yourself to where there's a lot of friction in your marriage because you have these unmet expectations, I want to ask you, are you asking something of your spouse that you should actually be asking of God? Because if you want to put a God-sized role on top of your spouse, they will never be able to fulfill it because they weren't intended to. So this should be a moment where it causes us to check and evaluate, am I more concerned with what God can do for me or what my spouse can do for me? I had to, earn, I had to learn this in my own life. And shortly before I met Victoria, there was a season in life that was one of the hardest, it was the hardest I've ever gone through. i had just been through a lot of stuff and I was in kind of the season of isolation and God was, it, the best way to describe it, it felt like I was laying on a table and God was doing surgery on me. There was all of this stuff that needed to be addressed, pain from the past, for mistakes that I made, forgiveness that needed to be had, all sorts of stuff. Just this really grueling time where God is just ripping all this stuff out of me. And I started to go through this process and kind of on the back end of that, I said, okay, I think I'm in a pretty good place and I, I want to start pursuing a relationship with somebody and I want to start dating. And uh, there was another girl in particular that I'd hung out with a couple times. We went on a couple dates and I think like the second time we went out on a date, I just had this check in my spirit right away where God's like, this isn't it. This isn't it. Like you're still hoping that she brings you some sort of fulfillment that you've yet to find in me. And so it was kind of this moment of reckoning to where I'm like, okay, I, I'm not ready yet. There's still more work that God needs to do in me. And the reality is until Jesus is everything to you, no one else will ever be good enough for you. Until Jesus is everything that you need, no one else will ever be good enough for you. That's why people jump from relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship. They will never be good enough for you until Jesus is everything for you. If he's not that ultimate source, you will be disappointed in people every single time. Marriages are built on principles over passion. One of the principles Victoria and I have in our house is uh, we won't go to bed mad at each other. We won't go to bed mad at each other. The Bible says don't let the sun go down on your anger. And it can be hard, and sometimes there are some very long nights. <laughs> there are some of those nights to where like, you, you just kind of know 10, 11 o'clock rolls around, you're like, oh, boy, it's about to be an all-nighter. <laughs> But we've committed very early on in our relationship that we refuse to let whatever tension there is roll over into the next day. Because I believe that when we do that, the enemy will come in and start to speak lies on both sides. And he'll begin to drive the wedge between husband and wife even greater and greater and greater. So if it means that I need to lose a couple hours of sleep to save my marriage, I'm going to do it. And so that's one of the principles that we have. But I want to help you out. If you're in the room and you're like, okay, I don't necessarily have some principles to live by. I'll give you just a quick list that you can refer to as we look at 1 Corinthians 13. Verses four through seven, it says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy and it does not boast. It is not proud and it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Somebody needs to hear that again. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. As you hear that list, some of you guys are thinking, man, that is a lot, (laughs) And it is, because the reality is this sort of love that's being described here is not a romantic love between a husband and a wife. This is a reflection of God's love for us. But in our marriage, even though this is not referring to a romantic love, this sort of love should be the goal for us. So if you want to build your marriage on principles, if you want to have a covenantal marriage, these are the truths to build your marriage on. As we go through and we look at the second point I want to talk about for our marriage is this. Marriage is spiritual. Marriage is spiritual. If it says God created them male, female, and what God has joined together, let no one separate. God is the one that created it and conjoined it. they spiritual. spiritual. The very foundations of marriage come from God, so it can't help but be spiritual. And so we can't eliminate the spiritual aspect of a marriage and boil it down to simply the emotional, mental, physical side of things. Because the foundation of marriage is spiritual. And if we overlook that, it's like taking the heart out of a person and expecting it to live. The the foundation of marriage is spiritual. And the reason why is because as we look through uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32, it says one can chase a thousand and two can chase ten thousand. God has a purpose in marriage and He created it for a purpose. And one of the purposes God created marriage for is that because when there are two people that are married in covenant relationship with God and walking in their purpose, we are able to have a greater impact for the kingdom of God. And so that's one of the purposes God's created marriage for that. As a married couple, you have a duty to walk in the calling God has placed on your lives and to make an impact. Listen, marriage is a permanent two ness. It says one can chase a thousand, two can chase ten thousand. So the idea, as Pastor Kelsey alluded to last week, when you are married, you should be able to accomplish more and do more for the kingdom of God. For some of us, though, as we look at this reality that marriage is spiritual, if if that's true and marriage is something that God created, the devil hates everything that God created. God created marriage for a purpose. The devil's going to do everything that he can to keep you from walking in that purpose. If you're married in the room, especially if you're married in covenant relationship with God and God is the centerpiece of your marriage, you better be expecting some attacks. The devil doesn't want you to understand what it means to have a healthy, functioning marriage, walking in the purpose that God has for you. That's one of the reasons why the idea of family and the identity of family is so under attack, because the enemy wants to rip it apart because he hates what God created and intended for marriage to be. Now, for some of us in our marriages, the attacks might look like temptation. Maybe there's something that comes across your path. There's someone that the devil starts telling one of you, like, that person knows how to love you better. They make you happier. Maybe there's some other temptations that might come up. Maybe there's some sort of a, a substance abuse that might come up, some sort of temptation to draw one individual or both back to a life of sin. But there will be some sort of attack in this way. But I, I want to tell you right now, as Pastor Kelsey talked about last week, the, the devil can be pretty good at what he does. His primary language is lying. And so one of the things that I believe that he does, and his attacks can be so subtle. Sometimes the attack of the devil are not like just very big. Like He's not like this guy with the red pitchfork coming to your house like, give me your marriage. Like it's not always that obvious. Let me tell you some subtle ways that the devil will attack your marriage. He will make you think that happiness is the end goal. He will attack your marriage by making you think that happiness is the end goal. That that the, the, the pinnacle of marriage is simply being happy. There are a lot of happy couples that are not in a God-ordained, God-blessed, God-recognized marriage because he's nowhere to be found in the picture. If God's not in the picture, listen, the devil doesn't care if you're happy. He just cares if you're walking in your purpose as a couple. And so we got a whole lot of happy couples that don't have God in the mix. And the devil don't care. He's like, you can be as happy as you want to be. Just as long as you don't realize that God is a missing piece in your marriage. Because once you do, you start to walk in that purpose. You can make that greater impact. So again, for a lot of people, what begins to happen is we have this picture in our minds of the American dream. You've got, uh, you've got a, a husband and a wife. You've got two kids and a white picket fence and a great job and a nice car you are like to drive. Well, we've got this picture in our minds. A lot of us, it's almost uh, uh, subconscious. It's just something that was kind of ingrained in us. And so we have like this aim that we're shooting for. And once we kind of start to achieve that, I think the devil just kind of lulls us to sleep. Like, yeah, that's it. You got everything you need. You're happy just where you are. You're married, you got kids, you got the house, you're good. You don't need anything else. And he gets us to buy into this lie that accomplishing these things are what fulfill us before believing and understanding that ultimately it is God that fulfills us as individuals and as a couple. So that's one of the first ways he tries to attack our marriages. It's not always overt. Sometimes it's subtle by making you think you already have everything that you need without Jesus. The second one I think is even more subtle. One of the other subtle ways that the enemy will attack our marriages, if you are a parent, he'll use your kids. Now, that might sound strange to some of you guys, but I want to tell you this. I remember when Victoria and I, we first had Asa when he was born, and we'd, we'd been married a little while. And we've brought home this almost nine-pound bundle of joy. And, you know, he's rocking him to sleep. And he wasn't initially sleeping great at night. Like, it's a long, exhausting process to have kids. But it got to a point in our marriage and in our relationship that I, I, I literally, I remember it like yesterday. There was a point where I looked at Victoria when Asa was a baby. And I said, do you realize it's been almost three months since we've talked about anything besides Asa? It's been almost three months since we've gone on a date night, since we've had any sort of meaningful conversation. Our entire world was wrapped up in this child. Children are a gift from God, but they were never intended to be the centerpiece of your marriage. Because if while I'm focusing on this child, it is causing me to lose sight of my relationship with God and with my spouse, then that is trouble. The enemy can take something good and make it something bad. And we see it all the time, because when this starts to happen, then what happens, there's, there's a, a really, the numbers are staggering as far as how many families will have kids, raise the kids, once the kids are out of the house, and all of a sudden there's a, kind of this aha moment between husband and wife, like, who are you? Like, I feel like I've been living with a stranger for 18 years. And this is a moment where a lot of couples will end up divorcing because they feel like they don't even know their spouse anymore. And that's exactly what the enemy wants, that you've been so focused on your children that you've forgotten your responsibility of serving and loving your spouse. And we see it all the time. Listen, nowadays what might happen is maybe these kids that have been the focal point of your life, they get to a point when they're a teenager and they say, hey, you know, I I don't want to go to church anymore. I don't like going to church. And as a parent, it's easier to say, okay, yeah, we, we won't go anymore. It's easier to listen to that child because they become the focal point of your world as opposed to pushing against them and raising them correctly. It's easier to give in than it is to guide. It's easier to give in to what your child is saying as, than it is to guide them in the ways of the Lord. Scripture says to, it says to raise your children in the ways of the Lord, and when they get old, they will not depart from it. It doesn't say that's going to be easy. But when our children become our focal point, then our spouse, our spouse becomes a subpoint, and that was never God's intended purpose for our marriage. And so as we go through this process, I want to just share a couple thoughts with you. Next week, Pastor Ed will be talking about parenting, but I want to share a couple brief thoughts with you about making your marriage a priority in your home, especially if you have kids. Because the reality is, from my experience, I know that a dysfunctional home with a dysfunctional marriage will have dysfunctional kids that most likely go on to raise a dysfunctional family. But I also know that the inverse is true, that a healthy home with a healthy marriage with healthy kids will go on to have kids that go on to raise healthy families. And so if you want to have healthy children that go on to have healthy marriages, you have to model it for your kids. And so for me, there's just a couple of points that I have for you. I'll share very briefly. Uh, First of all is this. Don't let your kids interrupt your conversations. Do not let your kids interrupt your conversations. This is something Victoria and I have been working on for a long time, and especially with younger kids, it can be difficult because everything is the biggest deal in the world to them. But I want to set the tone in my house that Victoria comes first. Whatever they got to tell me, if they pooped in the potty or whatever, if the house is on fire, it can wait. Because my first and foremost priority is her. And so if we are in the middle of a conversation and you want to say something, that's great. Give me five minutes and we'll finish our conversation and I'll come back to you. But I want to show my son, I want to model to my kids that she is my priority. That whatever else you've got going on, I love you and it's so important to me. But what is most important is her. I don't stand a chance at raising kids that will go on to have healthy marriages if I can't model to them what a healthy marriage looks like. I can't tell my kids I prioritize my wife if I put her on the back burner every time they have something for me. Because kids need stuff 24-7. So are you modeling to your kids that they come first? A simple way to do that is stop letting them interrupt your conversations. The second one is this. As much as possible, don't disagree with your spouse in front of your kids. Children are very observant. They're very perceptive. They pick up on the disunity. And so you can't try to put forward a front like you're unified in your marriage when all they hear is arguing. That's not to say that you won't have disagreements. But what I'm saying is, as much as possible, let those disagreements happen behind closed doors. They don't need to see that because kids absorb all of that. The third thing is let your kids see healthy affection between you and your spouse. I'm not telling you to be creepy. But what I'm saying is there is a certain amount of affection that kids need to see. Men, especially from you, affection in the home does not always need to be your wife catering to your every need. Men, listen, young boys need to see men that are unashamedly affectionate towards their wives. You don't stand a chance at raising an emotionally healthy boy if you can't show them what it means to be emotionally healthy in your home. They need to see that in order to live that you have the chance to set that example for them. Let them see that affection. Listen, and not only with your wife, but your kids need affection, too. I'm sick of this culture that says men don't hug and kiss and cry. Listen, I kiss my kids 5,000 times a day and that's probably underselling it. And they see me cry all the time. Listen, I am a huge baby when it comes to my kids. I don't cry about much, but when it comes to Jesus and family, I'll do it in a drop of a hat. It's just how I am. But I never for one second want my kids to question how much I love their mom and how much I love them. So let them see and feel that affection. The last one is this. Talk well about your spouse when they are not around. Your kids are always listening. It's one thing to say that you love your spouse in front of them, but when it's just you and the kids at the house, what are you saying then? Because they hear that, and they carry that. Always speak highly of your spouse. As we go forward and we look at this, Ephesians 5 basically paints this picture for us that God designed marriage one of the purposes he designed it for was that marriage would be a reflection of Christ's love for the church. And so with that being said, that's why marriage comes under attack so much because as God created it, the enemy wants to destroy it because of the purpose that it has. The enemy is gonna do everything in his power to destroy our marriages. So we have to do everything in our, power to, in our power to protect them. No one has a healthy marriage by accident. It is a result of intentional choices and hard work. Pastor Wayne, if you come, I'm going to close out in this. Some of you might kind of question where I'm going with this point, but the third point is this. Marriage is temporary. Marriage, as much as we want to paint it to be this thing where we come together and we live this long life together and we're together for all of eternity, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way because if we look in Scripture, if we look at the Bible, it tells us this in Matthew 22, verse 30, it's saying that, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. When Jesus comes back and we all go to heaven, it's saying that we will be like the angels in heaven. And the angels in heaven are not married because there's no purpose for marriage in heaven. The angels don't need to multiply. There's no marriage in heaven. And so if, if we're not going to be together for all of eternity in the day that one of us passes away, our, our marriage, we're not married at that point because one, we're with Jesus When I'm with Jesus, he is the focal point of my life and my eternity, so he becomes the center of my everything, even more so to a greater degree. So if marriage is only temporary, what's the point? What's the point in marriage if it is temporary? I'm going to share with you a story. When we had Nora, the story was a little bit different than when we had Asa. Asa. She came I almost missed the birth because I went to get lunch. It happened that fast. But in this story here when we had Nora at the hospital I remember Victoria's getting set up and all the stuff's happening and she starts pushing, the contractions are coming and all of a sudden I just hear the doctor say her oxygen is dropping and her blood pressure is dropping. And they start rushing all over the room, and the doctor starts grabbing all the stuff, and the nurses all running around. They're doing all stuff. I, I I couldn't even tell you what they were doing. I don't know what they were doing, but they started running around frantically. And at some point, the doctor looked at me and said, "Here, take this and hold it to her face." It gave me the oxygen mask. He said, "Don't move." So for the duration of her pregnancy, while she was giving birth, I had to sit there and I had to hold this mask over her mouth and I had to be able to help her breathe so she could go through the process of birthing. She was the one with the child. She was the one giving birth but I had the responsibility of standing by her side and helping her through that process. Here's the reality. As Kelsey so eloquently preached last week, every single one of us individually have a purpose and a calling on our lives. Your calling does not disappear when you get married. Marriage is a a construct, marriage is like a greenhouse for sanctification where two people are coming together and we are mutually making each other more like Jesus. So if marriage is not eternal, if marriage is temporary, what's the point? The point is this, the reality is that God has placed certain dreams and passions and visions inside of Victoria. And it's my responsibility as her husband to be alongside of her, helping her give birth to the things that God has placed inside of her. Marriage is not about her fulfilling my needs. Marriage is not about her catering to everything I need. Husband, this is your role. We can go to Ephesians 5, the famous verse that kind of starts out with, wives, submit to your husbands. And a lot of people get hung up on the language of that. But I want to drop down later in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 28. And it says this, men. Says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but the holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So, while this verse here that Paul is talking about, husbands, uh, submit to your wives, submit to your husbands, it goes on later and he puts even a greater emphasis on the husbands. You have to submit to God. You have to love and serve your wife like Jesus would. That's terrifying. That's why it's important that we actually understand what we're doing in marriage. Her purpose is not to just fulfill my every need. My purpose is to help her fulfill the God-sized dreams that he placed inside of her. And the same is true in your marriage. Your spouse's purpose and calling isn't to serve you. God has given every single one of us a specific calling on our lives. And marriage is a context in which it is the ultimate picture of iron sharpening iron where we should be pushing each other towards the ultimate purpose because that one day, I know some clown is gonna come to my house asking to be with Nora. And I'm ready for it. I am. Why do you think I work out? I'm ready for that day. But what I know is that whenever that day comes, there's going to be a moment where I'm I'm looking at this guy and I'm trying to evaluate, are you going to take care of my daughter? Are you going to provide for her? Are you going to protect her? Are you going to help her to live out the calling and the purpose that God has placed in her life? And so if I'm going to be asking this question of whatever dude this is, how much more so is God going to be asking me When I, as her husband, stand before him in heaven, he's gonna say, how did you love my daughter? How did you serve my daughter? Did she grow in her relationship with Jesus because she was married to you, or did you weigh her down? If this is what marriage is intended to be like, I, I, as a husband, should be trembling at the thought that one day I'm gonna have to give an account before God Almighty on how I treated and served and loved his daughter. That's what marriage is. Marriage is a race to the back of the line. It's a race to serve each other. It's a race towards elevating each other, making it about the other person. It's not just about you. You're married for the sake of glorifying God and being that example of his love to the people around you. Will you stand with me? We're gonna end service a little bit differently, but I'm gonna ask you, just especially if you're a moment, please Hang with us just a moment. I want you to know what we're going to do. In just a moment, I'm going to ask some married couples if you'd be willing to come down to the front, and you're going to pray with your spouse. After that time is up, Pastor Ed is going to come, and he's going to pray a prayer over all of the wives at Eastern Assembly, and then Rachel will come to pray a prayer over all of the husbands at Eastern Assembly. If you are single in the room and you intend on or hope to be married someday during all of this, while this is happening, you should be praying in advance for your future spouse, whoever that person is. If your spouse was not able to make it today for whatever reason, you still come down to the front and pray for them as if they were here. So I wonder, are there any couples that are brave enough to come down to the front here and take the hand of your spouse and to begin to pray with them? I'll be joining my wife shortly, but I wanna give all of this, this moment. This is a moment between you and your spouse and God. We are gonna be recommitting ourselves to doing marriage God's way, to following the principles of, of God to living in a covenant relationship with our spouses. I want you to take the hands of your spouse and to face them, please. In this time, your prayer instruction is this. You are simply praying. Husbands, you are praying over your wives. Wives, you are praying over your husbands. And this is a time where you are committing to each other to do marriage God's way, that he will be the focal point and centerpiece of your marriage. We are committed to doing this his way because without him, we can't make it. So I want to give you this time as Pastor Wayne leads us in worship. He's going to begin to sing. And don't go anywhere because when you're done praying, Pastor Ed and Rachel will come and close us out. So would you pray for your spouse like your marriage depends on it because it truly, truly does.